0: Who do men say that I am? The question that Jesus posed to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And then he flipped it and said, and who do you say that I am? As we look around the world today, there's a lot of people who are saying a lot of things about spiritual issues and a lot of things about Jesus. But the one Area of life, the one earthly decision that we make that has eternal consequences is what am I doing and what do I believe about Jesus? And Paul wants to make sure that the church at Colossae understands who Jesus is. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And today we're going to pick up. In verse number 15, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15, it says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And with that, let's pray. God, speak to us today, and may we, again, just be in awe and wonder at the precious gift that you have given us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lift our eyes to the truth of Scripture. Help us to embrace it in our heart, Lord Jesus, that you are our Savior, our Creator, our Sustainer, that you are God, in your name, amen. As Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he's writing to a church that he had actually never been at, but uh, had started In result of his preaching in Ephesus, and one had gone out to then share with the church at Colossae and other churches in that area, and one of the things Paul wants to do is make sure that they believe the right things about Jesus. He begins the book with this introduction in the first eight verses as he again just tells them and reminds them that you are saints and faithful brothers, and he commends them for their faith and their love and their hope. And then he begins to pray for them in verse number nine. He prays that they will know God's will, that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's uh, will. Then he prays that they would do God's will, that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in every good work. And then he prays that they would know God's will and do God's will with a heart of joy and thanksgiving. He ends verse number 11 by saying, I want you to be uh, pressing forward with joy. And then verse number 12, he says, giving thanks. Now he closes that prayer And reminds them that it is in Jesus in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Now he reminds them that Jesus is the redeemer and that Jesus is the savior. That Jesus is the only hope of forgiveness that any of us can ever experience in our life. And then he turns that. To look at the Roman philosophers and the Jewish legalists and say, and you need to fully understand who this redeemer and who this forgiver is. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says he's the firstborn of all creation. And then he says that he is the one who created everything. And he is the one who sustains everything. So that this Jesus, who you call Redeemer, the Savior, is also the creator and the sustainer. That Jesus is the one that you need to fully understand who he is. And so he presses this, and he's going to press this in these next few verses and remind them who Jesus is. And within that, Remind us that he is not only the creator, but that all of us, as part of his creation, were created for him. As we think about this picture of Jesus, he's going to give us three really kind of pictures that we need to to understand about the truth of who Jesus is. First off, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is fully God. Now, there's a lot of people who believe a lot of different things about the person of Jesus. I uh, read back on a Barna report from just uh, a few years ago, and this is uh, a survey of adults. American adults, 9 out of 10, believe that Jesus was a real person, okay? But only 56% believe that Jesus is God, And only 48% of millennials believe that Jesus is God. 25% of of the adults in this survey believe that Jesus was a religious leader like Muhammad or Buddha. And 52% believe that he was human and he sinned like everyone else. So if you look out at the world and, and ask the question, who do people say that Jesus is? They're going to say things like, yeah, we, we believe that there was really a guy named Jesus. We really do believe that he was a religious leader. But as a religious leader, he was just another human who sinned and blew it just like the rest of us. And this is what Paul is facing. See, they needed to understand in the first century clearly who Jesus is. And can I tell you, in the 21st century, we need to understand who Jesus is. So what do we see about Jesus? Jesus is Lord. First off, we think about his deity, that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. We look back at the Old Testament and we remember the prophecy of Isaiah in, in Isaiah 9-6 where he said his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is God. We remember the angel who came to Joseph and said that his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. We remember Thomas in John 20, 28, who when he saw the resurrected Christ, looked at him and said, my Lord and my God. We have to understand that Jesus is fully God. John 1 makes it clear. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in John 1 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we see his deity, Jesus is God, but then we see his humanity in that Jesus is also man. Jesus is man. The word became flesh that Jesus stepped into humanity. Notice right here in this passage down just a couple of verses in Colossians chapter one and verse number 19. He says, for it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. It pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness, all of God's fullness shall dwell. Now notice down in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What do we see about Jesus? We see that he is fully God and yet he took on flesh. That's the picture of what we're seeing in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The word image there is the word that we get our English word icon from. He is the icon. When we think of an icon, we think of a representative. We think of a a, a picture of a coin that may have uh, in this day, you know, a picture of Caesar on it. It would be an icon. It would be a representative of, of who that coin stood for. But this is different in that Jesus has not only the representation of who God is, but he is the manifestation of God. That Jesus is fully God. That in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. So that Jesus is God, so God that he, he cannot be separated from his deity, and yet he took on head, Shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, okay? So the picture is, is that he, he took on a body. I mean, thumbs and big toes. He, he took on a body, hair and elbows and knees. The, the picture that, that, Paul is driving home to the church at Colossae is, yes, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, Jesus died. But let me tell you, it's more than just a sacrifice, but Jesus, as the sacrifice, was fully God, sinless, holy, representing and manifesting the presence of an invisible God in a visible way. That's the picture. He is the image of the invisible God, so that as Jesus walked on the earth and people would look at Jesus, they would see not only the representation, but the manifestation of God in the flesh. We see his deity, we see his humanity, but thirdly, we see his superiority, that that Jesus is supreme. That Jesus is first, notice what it says here that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now this word firstborn uh, can be quite confusing. matter of fact, many cults use this firstborn as a picture that that Jesus was part of the creation, that God created Jesus, he is a god, he is the firstborn. Now the word firstborn at times in scripture is used a picture of physical firstborn child, but it is also used to show a position that is primary, a place of dignity. We we look at this picture of Jesus, and when it says that he is the firstborn, it does not mean that he was created Instead, it gives a picture of his position, his dignity, that he is the one who holds all authority. He is over all. Take your Bibles and look back with me to Genesis chapter 41 just for a minute because I want to drive home that when you think of this term, firstborn, it doesn't always mean time. Genesis chapter 41 we actually went through the life of Joseph last year in 2020. In Genesis chapter 41, and and we pick up in verse number 51. Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, and then notice down in verse 52, and the name of the second he called Ephraim, all right? Now, this is not a trick question, but I do want you to answer out loud, okay? All right? Now, n- notice the verses again. G- Joseph called the name of the firstborn, Manasseh, and the name of the second he called Ephraim. Not a trick question. Who was born first? Manasseh. Now, look over uh, to Jeremiah chapter 31. To Jeremiah chapter 31. And I, I because I want to, to drive this home to you to understand that firstborn doesn't always mean uh, an aspect of, of time. Jeremiah chapter chapter 31. Notice with me in verse number nine, the last two uh, phrases: "For I am a father to Israel, and notice what he says, and Ephraim is my firstborn." Oh, Lord, do we have a problem here? Joseph just named his kids Manasseh and Ephraim, and now you're saying that you are the Lord of Israel, and actually he even calls Israel his firstborn in Exodus chapter 4. But but the picture is, is you're calling Ephraim now your firstborn. What does that mean? That means this, that Ephraim was able to receive the position and the dignity and the responsibility of being the firstborn the blessing okay this isn't the first time that that one that the younger was blessed over the older I mean we we see this in scripture uh, you you remember Jacob and Esau and Jacob received the the, the blessing as the firstborn. But here the picture is, is that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, that he has the place of authority, that he has the place of primacy, that he has the place of dignity, that he has the place of blessing over all. That's the picture, that he gets the privilege of the firstborn. Not that he is the firstborn and, and he is just a God or that he is created. What we find in this passage is that Jesus is fully God. And as firstborn, he has absolute authority over all creation. He has the place of dignity and responsibility and honor over all. So why does Jesus get that? Well, notice with me in verse number 16. Jesus gets it because Jesus is not only Lord, but Jesus is creator. Why does Jesus get the place of, of honor and dignity over all creation? Why does he have the function of the one that gets to have authority over everything? Because notice what it says in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created. So we see that Jesus is creator. He is over everything because he created everything. He's the one responsible over everything. That Jesus is the agent of creation creation. And notice this, this awesome and wonderful picture that he created everything. He created all things for by him. Notice that word all that's used twice in verse number 16 and twice in verse number 17. For by him, all things were created. Notice at the end of that verse, all things were created through him and for him. Notice verse 17. He is before all things and in him, all things exist that Jesus created all. Jesus is the creator. Now, when it comes to creation, there's really only three camps that you can be in. Okay? You can be in the camp that creation came about by chance. By chance, 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 by chance. I mean, where did matter come from? Oh, it just happened to be here by chance. Well, what about uh, gases and rocks and this explosion and, and this one-celled living organism? It's chance, it's chance, it's chance. That's the picture. You can believe that creation is simply by chance. Secondly, you can believe that Christ, uh, that, that creation came through some cosmic force out there that we do not know. Something happened that we don't understand. Or thirdly, you can believe that God created. Now, I, I will tell you that, that if you're in camp number one, don't you think that this is all science because this is a lot of faith. This is a lot of chance. I, I mean, you look at, at, at someone where, where we are today and you think about the intricacies of creation. Let's, let's think about this awesome picture of creation around us. First off, let's, let's, let's get out our telescope this morning. And as we get out our telescope this morning, let's think about all that is around us. Our earth is precisely placed so that if there was even a 1% variation of it being closer or farther from the earth, life would be impossible. The sun is perfectly placed 93 million miles away. I've shared some of these before. It takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds for light to stream across some 93 million miles uh, to to reach the earth. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs an estimated 588 sextillion tons and hangs unsupported in space, spinning 1,000 miles per hour with absolute precision and careens through space at the speed of 1,000 miles per minute in an orbit of 580 miles long. Some suggest there's 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy to travel at the speed of light across the Milky Way in which our solar system, traveling at the speed of light across our solar system, is still going to take 125,000 years. It's amazing. We think of the billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy and our galaxy is just one of many galaxies and yet Isaiah 40, 26 says that when it comes to the stars that God calls them all by name. When I was a kid, you used to find in magazines that you could get a star named after you. Can I tell you, God already has them all named. Don't bother, okay? Now let's think about this, the details of creation just in, just in humanity, just in us. You think about your body. In the human body there are 75,000 miles of blood vessels carrying blood to over 60 trillion cells. More than one million of these are white antibodies, each one designed to fight just one kind of germ or virus. An adult human body contains a hundred trillion cells. The body carries about 25 trillion red blood cells, the most abundant cells in the body. They make about 45% of your blood. I could go on. Every hour, about 180 million newly formed red blood cells enter the bloodstream. Every hour, 180 million. That's amazing. The circulatory system, I'll just skip down. Circulatory system of arteries, veins, and capillaries is about 60,000 miles long. I'm feeling kind of short right now if I got that much going on in me, you know? Your heart beats an average of 2.5 billion times in your life. I mean, this is just amazing stuff. We look at the intricacies and that all things were created by him. But notice at the end of verse number 16, because they were not only created by him, but notice what it says, and and this is the theme of, of the book of Colossians for me. All things were created through him And for him, so that he created all things for him. All things were created for him, not just by him, but for him. So that Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. What's creation doing? It's saying, look, glory to the Lord. Glory to our creator. Look around and see how awesome our creator is. Look at Psalm 148. And you see the calling of all nature to give praise to God. But that's why we're here as well. See, he, he put the, the moon up there and the stars up there and the sun there and the mountains and the rivers and all of those kind of things. But listen, why are you here? Revelation chapter 4 makes it clear. As we think about Revelation chapter 4, around the throne, there's the declaration that says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And then it says this, for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 4.11. Why am I here? To give him the worship to show that he is worthy. I'm here because he created me. I'm here not by accident. Some of you may have been a surprise to your parents, but listen, you were not a surprise to God. He has you here. He knew you before you were born. He knit you together in your mother's womb. It's the the beautiful picture of God as the almighty, the Lord Jesus as his almighty creator who puts all these millions and billions of stars out in the galaxy. And yet the picture is is that he personally embroiders each human life in the womb in Psalm 139. That's amazing. We're created by him created for him. Jesus is creator. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is not only Lord and Jesus is creator, but that Jesus is the sustainer. Notice in verse number 17 with me, he says this, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. There's two pictures. Jesus is before all. He's eternal. He's before all. And when it means all there, it really does mean all. And when he created all, it really does mean all. Jesus couldn't have created all if he was a creation. He wouldn't be, uh, he, he would be part of the creation, not that he created all. So we see that he is before all, and then notice he's gonna hold it all together. And in him all things consist. He's the one who sustains this, Amazing universe, the entirety of the cosmos, and yet he's the one who holds our individual breath. Absolutely all powerful and infinite, absolutely personal and intimate. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He's the savior, but he's the creator and the sustainer of all. So, how do I respond to that? I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of theology here, but then wh- where do I end up here? It tells me in verse number 16 at the end that, that I was created for him. So, so how do I respond? So take your Bibles and, and, and look with me to the end of Romans chapter 11. And I think that this is gonna give us kind of the reason to and how to respond. Or just listen, listen carefully. It says this, Romans eleven thirty six. 36. It, this is a rich, rich section beginning in verse number 33, but let me just pick up in verse number 36. Romans eleven thirty six. 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Of him, Through him, to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This is the end of a vast theological section of the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then he starts chapter 12. Therefore, since all is created through him and to him, and all things are to bring him honor and glory, he then, Paul, brings home the application, and he says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says this, what is my response? My response is to live all for Jesus. That I am to present my life as a living sacrifice that I am to present everything of who I Listen, listen, listen. There may be some who who give their life for the gospel. And that would be giving your life as a sacrifice. That would be that one time and there would be martyrdom and you'd step into eternity. And and there are brothers and sisters throughout the world that experience that every day. But he calls us not to be a dead sacrifice, but to be a living sacrifice sacrifice so that I place myself on the altar before the almighty savior creator sustainer of all things and say Lord I submit my life and I worship you all to Jesus I surrender that's our response so that in areas of obedience of our life we say all to Jesus Yes, Lord, I surrender. In areas where sin has tangled me up, I say, Lord, I know that you have given the power within me, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So I pray that you would work. Lord, I'm going to get accountable. I'm going to get in your word. And Lord, I'm going to lay my life down today as a living sacrifice, all for Jesus. It means this that if Jesus really is, listen, if he really is who the Bible says he is, Savior, Redeemer, Creator, Sustainer, it should challenge us not to be casual in our walk with him. It should challenge us to take that step and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. And with that, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take uh, these next few moments and that you would drive home the, the truth of, of who you are. Lord, we recognize that you are God. You are our Lord. You are our creator. You are our sustainer. Lord, that you hold the very breath that we have. Lord, that you are the one who uh, is in us. Lord Jesus, we, we recognize that you're worthy of all praise. That you're worthy of all obedience. And so, Lord, if you're speaking to us today, may we say yes. Because we recognize, Lord Jesus, yours is the name above every name. And one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord. So help us to do it now. And help us to live it now. So that we'll shine as a light in a dark world. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Speak to us in your name. Amen.